Thank you, choir, very much. We are in First uh, Peter, primarily this morning, if you'd care to turn there. Letter of First Peter, the third chapter. In these weeks of Lent, these weeks before uh, and leading up to Resurrection Day, I, um, quite a while back, I, f- I felt led to focus on peace. I, um, I could not get away from the Colossians 1 passage uh, that, that we touched on a few weeks ago that says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace through Jesus' death on the cross. That is the image and that is the offer of God. And it has stuck with me. And I suppose it's not surprising why. Uh, Peace is something that everyone needs. We will go crazy without it. Uh, So many, it seems, are searching for it in these days, and yet relatively few seem to find it, at least in any lasting way. We touched on all of this, like I said a couple weeks ago, Superintendent Lane talked about it some throughout this past week. So many people, no matter their age, no matter their nationality, no matter their wealth or place in society, so many people today are tense and troubled um, even little kids, you know, even little kids. Man, when I was a kid, I didn't have a care in the world, and neither did any kid I knew. Uh, well, the fact is, regarding school, my parents and teachers wish I cared a little more than, than I did. Uh, but now, so many kids are just strung as tight as piano wires. Truly, I didn't believe in stress Uh, I didn't think stress was a real thing until the year I turned 29, which happens to be the same year I got married and (laughs) the same year I became a pastor. So I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but, but you can't deny it's real today. Um, People don't sleep. They don't eat well. They don't slow down. They're always moving. The young worry about living. The old worry about dying and vice versa. To the point that much of our society doesn't even know what peace looks like. In the same way that I didn't think stress was real, there's a big part of our society, I think, that wonders if peace is real. If it's achievable, or if it's just this imaginary state of mind that some people think they enjoy. But you know, part of our work as Christ Church is to tell them that peace is real and peace is achievable. And it is so regardless of circumstance. That's part of our work. We have to show them. We have to tell them that. You know, Jesus, uh, he introduced a lot of contention into our world. And then he died violently on on a cross. But just the same. Ironically, he's also the greatest bringer of peace the world has ever known. And he's still bringing peace. To those who will trust him. Because, you know, God, the Father, he does not want people. He does not want his creation. God does not want anyone to live with this anxiety and fear all through them, all over them, weighing them down. God wants people to find peace regardless of circumstance. 
And the only place we can find it is in Jesus. That is the message of Peter here. Uh, in so many ways, as you look through this letter of, of 1 Peter, it could have been written three weeks ago. Uh, you see, there was a time early in the first century when Christianity was new, when Christ followers had nothing to fear from their government. Uh, in fact, the book of Acts reports how many times it was the Roman government that saved the apostle Paul and others from the rage of the Jewish leaders and, and the idol worshipers around them. It was a government that saved the Christians. But over time, and in this the time of this letter, uh, the governmental heart toward Christians had changed. Uh, why? Well, when a person begins to follow Jesus, when Joe or Jane Roman, you know, accepted Christ, sometimes they had to pull back from other people that were in their lives. Sometimes they had to pull back a little bit from their friends, even from certain family members who encouraged sinful behavior in them and who antagonized them. And that confused. And at times it angered others who looked on to this. Who do you think you are? You Jesus follower, you know. Christians also met a lot together and very faithfully. Uh, and that sometimes disrupted long-standing schedules in people's lives and other people didn't like that. You know, new priorities change people. That's the fact of it. And then, of course, we do this Holy Communion stuff that we'll do here in just a little bit where we eat Jesus' body and drink Jesus' blood. That raised the eyebrows of those who don't understand what we mean by that. People began to ask, you know, what kind of sick group is this anyway? And besides, Christians are also connected to Jews who have never been, broadly speaking, liked or particularly appreciated. Anti-Semitism is nothing new in our day. It's happened since the beginning. So you have all this going on. And then, of course... Uh, recognizing all this pre-existent vulnerability in Christians, the Roman Emperor Nero, in his desperate attempt at diverting blame, he blamed Christians for the burning of Rome. So that, coupled with all the rest, caused this shift in the way people thought about Christ followers. And a severe persecution erupted about the year 64. You see, wherever there's a vacuum of understanding, all sorts of fears and suspicions pour in. That's always been true, and it's true today. Just this past week, some of you saw how an Arizona public school board voted to end an agreement regarding student teaching with a college in Glendale, Arizona, simply because the college is Christian. Do you see that on the news? Board members determined the college is dangerous because its website says this, that it's committed to Jesus Christ accomplishing his will on earth as in heaven, which includes promoting the biblically informed values that are foundational to Western civilization, including the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. That's what it says on their website. So doing that is now dangerous, you see, to our society. Or to say it another way, the real problem with the world is Christians. The real problem with the world 
as Christians. We're beginning to hear that more and more. Just like those earliest believers to whom Peter originally wrote this letter began hearing it from the people around them. Throughout his letter here, Peter tells us that they were suffering many severe trials. If you read through it, you can, you can catch glimpses of it. They were, they were called threats to society. They were called evildoers, the Christians were. He says they were afflicted. They were accused of slander. And it all was causing them not a little anxiety and fear, which is precisely why Peter writes what he does here about peace. Peter says there's a way to overcome. There's a way to find and keep inner peace, even when the whole world seems to be against you. The way to peace, Peter says, in a word, is humility. Humility leads believers to peace. Peter writes in verse 10 there, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, keep their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Where did Peter get an idea like that? He got it from King David, the writer of Psalm 34, which he quotes nearly verbatim. You see, what King David found and then what Peter found and what Jesus demonstrated is that we will never find the deep peace that we need as people. We'll never find the deep peace that we are looking for by stealing ourselves and hardening our attitudes against those who persecute us. We will never reach peace by constantly arguing or lashing out at them or at our culture as they accuse us and as they threaten. That's not the way to peace. Of all people, Peter learned that the hard way, didn't he? He learned that, that jumping in to argue and cutting off the ears of those who oppose us, whether we do that literally or whether we do it figuratively, by the words we speak or write, none of that ever leads to peace. What leads to peace is living rightly, humbly before the Lord, no matter what. Peter writes there in verse 8, all of you be unified. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, when the world is abused, it abuses in return. But Jesus' body, the church, does not abuse. The world may condemn, but Jesus' body does not condemn. Peter says, to this you were called so that you may inherit, inherit a blessing. What's the blessing? The blessing is peace. If we'll concentrate on pursuing God's way of life, if we'll live as God says to live, somehow God will put all the stuff the world tries to lay on us into context, into perspective, and in doing that, he will give us a deep, deep peace. He may not take the contention away, but he will give us peace in the midst of it. If we will live for him, that's what he will supply to us. Verse 12 there. Peter, quoting again, David promises, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive 
to their prayer. God sees this stuff. God knows what's going on in the lives of his people. And if we will live as he calls us to live with one another, he'll take care of those details. That's why the psalmist, King David again, began his whole declaration in Psalm 34 by saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Give God a try. Give God's way a try. Humble yourself. You'll be blessed if you will. You'll be blessed with peace. Even though the world around us rages against us, God's people can be at peace, both with each other and with ourselves. God will bless us with this otherworldly power of his to be sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble. We will be able to respond to evil with good. We'll be able to sleep at night. Yes, there is evil. There is wrong. There is ungodly behavior in our world. And sometimes it is directed at us. But God's blessing of peace comes to those who will do things his way. Those who will live as he says to live. Those who will humble themselves and take refuge in him. Just as Jesus, our Savior, did on the cross. In his article in this month's issue of First Things, Lyle Leibovitz talks about an occasion where he was with a group of friends, a big group of his friends, very diverse group. He said there were Jews there, Catholics there, evangelicals, people young and old all across the age spectrum, university professors to professional musicians to, I mean, all different kinds of people. He says they very likely had only in common the belief that faith, family, and nation ought to be the building blocks of a happy, fruitful life. So in the midst of this gathering of people, he turned to them, he raised his glass and said, Mazel Tov, which, which means congratulations, you know, it's good news or something. Mazel Tov, you're all Jews now. And there was this big laugh, but he's being serious. He writes, growing up in what felt like just a few years ago, a very different America, my friends gathered there in that place had no way of knowing what life as an embattled minority might feel like. Their beliefs, give or take a few articles of faith, were so common in the public discourse that they hardly needed stating. But no more. The values and worldviews that were so common and so unremarkable for so long have become so anathema so suddenly we who hold them now realize that we're all in the same boat, you see. We're all outsiders. We're all Jews now. We are all what Jews have always been. And though we're bewildered and perplexed, the solution the path to peace is also what the solution has always been. We humble ourselves. We follow the Lord. We taste and see that he's good. We enjoy the blessing of those who live in his ways, those who take refuge in him, the blessing of peace. That's where we are.
And that's how to find peace in the midst of it. Do you, do you find yourself perpetually tense <laughs> and anxious? Are you always trying to defend yourself? Are you constantly swinging your sword <laughs> at somebody? Are you trying to control the uncontrollable? Are you fighting the world? And have you lost your peace at it all? You, you, you can't keep living like that. It'll make you crazy. Take these words of Peter to heart. Learn what Peter learned. Learn what King David learned centuries before him. Learn what Jesus lived. Take hold of humility. Be unified in purpose and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing so that you may inherit a blessing. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Jesus, we come to your table looking for just what Peter says we need in order for peace. We open ourselves and we ask you to give us unity, sympathy, love, compassion, humility, purity, honesty, and goodness. Would you meet us here with these? Would you convince us of our need for them? And where we will open ourselves, would you pour them into us so that we might have the blessing of your peace in a confused and an upended world? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.